Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Jared Bailey from Laces Out. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First off, it's free. You don't got to pay anything to use Anchor. And there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more platforms. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest edition of Laces Out. Jarrett Bailey, Kurt Homister joining you today. Kurt, how are you doing today, bud? I am doing just fine. The days are blending together for me. It's, uh, I think, about week two or something of staying inside. So staying healthy, washing our hands here, and uh, just focusing on the future, focusing on the draft coming up here. Uh, still free agency going on, so hoping that sports can come back soon. But uh, staying healthy, what about you, my friend? Yeah, I mean, this is weird times for everybody. We've talked about that since we started doing this. So everybody just stay inside, stay safe. We're going to try to keep you entertained as much as we can and as often as we can. And we're going to continue that today with a special guest. He spent multiple years as an arena football league and an NFL cornerback. He was an AFL champion in 2015 with the San Jose Sabercats, spent some time with the New York Jets, and is now the host of the Press Coverage Film and the Inside the Numbers podcast. He is Eric Crocker. Eric, thanks for joining us today, mate. Oh, man, thanks for, thanks for having me on. All right, so on Twitter, if, if you don't follow Eric yet on Twitter, it's a film guy's just dream. Uh, you did a breakdown on Bryce Hall um, the other day, which was extensive, multiple, multiple threads attached to it, and I got lost in it. So I wanted to get your thoughts on not just Bryce Hall. We'll start with him, obviously, but uh, multiple guys, specifically DBs in this draft. So we'll start off with Bryce Hall. What is your um, just thoughts on him? and your outlook on where he'll go and how he will do um, when he gets drafted. I like him. I think he's one of the more complete cornerbacks in this class. <clears throat> Excuse me. He can play, you know, press. Um, I think he excels in the off coverage for, especially for someone that, like, of his size, you know, 6'1", 200 pounds, usually those guys, it's a little tougher for them to, to play off coverage. But just the way he does it, to where he kind of, like, He'll play off, but doesn't give too much ground. And, you know, he has really good eye discipline, drives a man uh, very well with, like, no wasted steps. Uh, it's, it's, it's really good. Like, from a co- coach's standpoint, it's good. Uh, I think he's a little limited with his athleticism and, like, his, his change of direction, where it's not ideal. I think for him, his technique, he's one of those guys where, like, his technique has to be on point. Um, and if it's not, I, I think that's where you can see him kind of um, get beat a little bit, and it, it hasn't been an issue too much in college. At the next level in the NFL, where receivers are more athletic, they are a little bit more precise with route running and being able to attack the you know defensive backs leverage and doing things to where now you have to really react and use more athleticism. I think that's where he might get in trouble. Um, I, I've had a couple of people like DM me, um, some coaches that played against him, and they think that he's more better suited as more of a nickel guy and a safety. Um, I don't know. I don't know that to be true or, or you know, whatever. But uh, that's kind of what guys that have played against him or coached against him, that's what they think. But overall, I like his skill set. I think there's a little stiffness there. I don't think he's as fluid as some of the top guys like the, you know, the Terrell, the Akuda, the, 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 the CJ Henderson, 
Um, some of those guys, I don't think he's as fluid of a cornerback as them. But overall, I think he's a terrific prospect, and I think he'd be a really good day two uh, pick. Yeah, Eric. I mean, I'm I'm sitting here thinking uh, as a as a Buffalo Bills fan, you know, I cover the Bills, do everything I can to kind of break down, and I see a lot of Bills fans that are shooting for Bryce Hall at pick 54. Um, and I would be okay with that as a fan, uh, kind of just looking at the team. I think that a big hole on the team is the number two corner. Bills brought in Josh Norman. We don't really know exactly if he's still got it left in the tank. Uh, we got Levi Wallace in there as well. And so we got a very good secondary, but I think that a true lockdown uh, number two corner behind Trey White. I think I like Bryce Hall a lot. I think he played well at Virginia. Um, and I think whoever brings him in, I, I'm not too sold yet that he's a, he's a true number one corner, but I think for the Buffalo Bills stance, you bring him in, bring him in put him behind Trey White, and with Josh Norman around him, with Levi Wallace, with that uh, great the safety duo there, I think that would be a great fit for him. So where do you kind of see him landing? You said day two, but uh, so maybe some teams that are good fits for Bryce Hall. I, mean, I think, like you said, like Buffalo Bills, man, I mean, from what I've seen with Buffalo – uh, and what they've kind of done with Tredavious White, they want, they've ran like a lot of, it looks like maybe like quarters or like some off zone type stuff. And from what I've seen, it looks like that's what they run a lot of or what they have. And I think he fits that type of, of, of scheme. Um, I think somebody like Trey White, I think Trey White could have played well in any <laughs> scheme. Um, I think he has excelled in the scheme that they put him in and what they've asked him to do. Uh, Bryce Hall, I think he specifically has to play in more of a defense like that, but I think he could be a good, a solid number two corner. Um, I don't think he has – I try not to pigeonhole guys. I think that athletes, like, they're kind of, like, made and created to really prove all of us wrong. So I don't want to pigeonhole him and make it seem right. like he can only be this type of guy. But from what I see right now, I think, like, as far as, um, you know, his, his projection of what I think he kind of is, um, his fluidness is a little limiting. And I don't think he's somebody, when you think it's CB1, I don't think you have to have a CB1, but if you do, you'd ask him to do more things, um, play outside, play in the slot, um, cover, you know, different type of guys, whether it's a speedy guy or a bigger guy. And I don't know necessarily if his athletic profile allows him to do that. So I don't think I would, like, have high hopes for him to where it's like, oh, he could be a CB1. But I think, you know, if he's your CB2, and you have a scheme where you do play a little bit more off coverage, I think he's he's very well suited to play like that. And, and I think he can be good uh, in, in that type of scheme. Eric, you wrote a piece on Jeff Okuda for fourth and nine. You actually have him potentially going to the 49ers down at 13, slipping a little bit. Uh, what made you think that uh, Okuda will slip maybe a little bit? What are your overall thoughts on Jeffrey Okuda, who's projected as many to be the best cornerback in the draft? Yeah, so so with Akuda, I really like him. I think he's a terrific prospect, right? And, you know, with some of these, it's just, you know, writing articles and, you know, getting 49er fans to kind of read it and stuff like that. <laughs> but I will say this, like, although I don't know if he'll be there at 13, and I don't even know if the 49ers will take a corner at 13, but it's not out of the ordinary to see a guy kind of, I don't even want to use the word slide, because if you get drafted at 13, that's still pretty high to me. Um, the things... Right. Uh, the reasons why I would be a little hesitant to take him as high as uh, some of the spots I've seen him go to, right, like Detroit Lions at uh, three. You have typically like the corners that you see taken like in the top six or seven picks, they have some elite 
athletic traits, right? And, you know, drafting a guy, you know, and viewing them as a prospect, it's all about how you project them to the next level and the things that they can do for you, right? So even if it's a, you know, if it's a receiver, I'm going to take a receiver higher that I think he can do a multiple of things for me compared to somebody that where, you know, maybe later in the second round or in the second round, like I get somebody, I don't think he's as complete, but he's really good. But when it comes to Akuda, I think his athletic profile could possibly limit him at the next level. I think he's a terrific athlete. He ran a 4.48 and a 4.50, which by no means is slow, but it's not elite, right? Like with some of the guys that you would think, you, you know, we see taken in the top five, six picks, right? So, you know, Jalen uh, Ramsey, um, similar athletic profile, I mean, uh, similar body type as in Nakuda, but he ran a 4.41. And the difference between a 4.41 and a 4.48 and a like 4.50, like there's a there's a difference there, in the type of guys that you know you co you cover comfortably. Uh, the same with um, you know other guys we've seen. We haven't seen a ton of guys drafted that high, but Terrence Newman's, the Champ Bailey's, you know the Charles Woodson's. Like those guys, that the way that even how they test, and especially even more so now with how you kind of view those guys. I would ideally like you to be able to do more and I need to be comfortable that you can cover any type of receiver. Now when it comes to Akuda, if I've seen it on film, I'd be fine with it. But I didn't at least in the games I've seen, I didn't see him really have to guard top tier talent in the Big Twelve. Uh I mean Big Ten, excuse me, in the Big Ten. Uh the receivers, the like best receiver I think he said he went against was Cephas from uh from uh Wisconsin. And even with him, you know, he's a guy that ran a four seven three. So he's not someone yeah where I think he did have like really good short area quickness and the ability to kind of like, you know, win at the line of scrimmage. He wasn't someone that Akuda had to worry about threatening him over the top. So yeah, that, that's, um, uh, that's, that's interesting though, because all I've really seen leading up to this draft, every mock draft, every, any kind of analysis for this draft, I see Jeff Okuda being listed as one of the top talents. So coming from you, kind of the, the cornerback specialist here, that's, uh, that's kind of puts things into perspective here because we got a lot of, I would say, what, maybe five guys, five corners here that are uh, very solid players. Uh, you could go C.J. Henderson, Christian Fulton, mm -hmm. Trevon, uh, Trayvon Diggs, and uh, A.J. Terrell. Those five guys, I think, are probably the top five, and then there's there's a second tier of guys lower than that. But out right. of those five guys, are you putting are, are you putting Okuda way above those guys, or is there somebody that's kind of close behind them, whether that be Henderson or Fulton or one of those guys? Right, yeah, I, I see. I see the three of them, depending on the type of cornerback you like. I see them kind of neck and neck for the most part. I do think that Akuda was the cleanest prospect of them all, but I see like a guy like C.J. Henderson have a little bit higher upside. So if a if a team was like, you know, what, we're going to take C.J. Henderson over Akuda, me personally, I wouldn't have any issues with that because I think when you look at you know from an athletic standpoint and and how you project it and you know the things that you can coach or can't coach. Right, I, I can coach up technique and I can clean that up and get a guy to be more consistent. I can't coach four three nine, right? I can't teach that. So right. if somebody was like, you know what, I want to teach, I want to get this guy who I saw travel with number one wide receivers, have to guard chase all over the field, whether it was outside in the slot, and they have the same size, right? They're both six one two zero five, but this guy ran a four three nine. I feel like his speed kind of leaves him more room for error if things don't go as expected, you know, at the line of scrimmage or whatever with his technique. He has that really good catch-up ability, and he played in the SEC against top, more top-tier talent than maybe of Akuda. I can see a guy taking Henderson over him, and I wouldn't think anything of it. I think the rest of draft Twitter would kind of be up in arms about it, but I, I wouldn't. 
Now, you mentioned receivers earlier in terms of the guys that Okuda's covered, and that brings me to a different point in terms of receivers because we talked about it with guys throughout this entire process. This is probably the most stacked wide receiver class maybe in history. We uh, discussed this with Ernest Edwards, receiver from Maine. He's projected to be a mid-round pick. He's got some serious speed on him. We talk about receivers. I mean, Jerry Judy, CeeDee Lamb, and Henry Ruggs considered the cream of the crop of this one. Who is the top receiver in this class to you, and how many do you think that we could see go within the first two rounds? Because, like I said, this is incredibly deep. Yeah, I mean, uh, for, for me, it's Jerry Judy. Just his route running ability and separation skills and the speed in which he plays. And, and those things, I think, they all translate to the NFL. Um, I have my questions about both Ruggs and CeeDee Lamb. Um, so I think kind of Judy is in kind of like a tier of his own. I actually have my questions about all of them. I mean, even with Jerry Judy, it's like, can you be tougher in the NFL? Because I saw sometimes when bodies were around him or con- contact, he kind of had trouble a little bit playing through contact and still concentrating and catching the ball. I think that's where he had his drops. I mean, in the NFL, you're not going to uh, consistently create as much separation as you did in college. So I think that's the part where I would like to see him uh, improve. But when it comes to like CeeDee Lamb, I thought he had a little bit of trouble uh, consistently creating separation, especially on the outside against more top-tier type cornerbacks. And in, in the Big 12, it was a little easy for him. And we saw the crazy run after catch. I just posted a clip of him uh, making like six guys <laughs> from Texas miss. And it's like, man, this is incredible <laughs> from his standpoint and incredible from the standpoint of Texas because like, how can you guys be that terrible? But um, I think in the Big 12, is like they let this guy do whatever. And I, I thought the SEC, you know, that would be a conference that maybe challenged him a little bit more. But I, I really like what he brings to the table. Um, I think he's a terrific contested catch guy. He can hang his hat on that. Um, he is really good at run after catch. I think it will be a little bit more limited in the NFL because he's not like a blazer. Um, and then when it comes to rugs, it's just can you can you play as fast as your 40 time? And I think at times, you know, we see the highlights of him catching a dig over the middle and outrunning everybody, you know, catching a, a little jet sweep or, you know, a, a screen pass and taking it to the crib. But when you watch him over an entire game, I didn't think that he played as fast as he could. I um, also didn't think that maybe, uh, you know, at the line of scrimmage, he could win a little bit more uh, from press. I didn't think he moved. Like I watched Fulton. I did a breakdown on that. I didn't think he moved Fulton enough or threatened uh, Fulton enough vertically consistently with the speed that he has. Um, you know, and, and that's how he's going to have to win in the league, right? I always look at, I always tell people, like, figure out how this guy wins, and then does he win like that consistently? And I think he definitely wins with speed, but I think it can be a little bit more consistent. So I, I definitely have my little questions with each guy, but Judy, to me, as far as his the way his skill set translates to the NFL, I think he's kind of in the tier of his own. Yeah, I, th- I think this draft is going to be a lot of fun to watch because of the wide receivers that we have. We have so many guys that can – be game breakers and some guys that could even be duds if you take them in the first round here. But um, I got a kind of interesting question here for both of you guys, uh, a little debate that we could have. Uh, the newly acquired Stefan Diggs uh, of my Buffalo Bills tweeted out a question the other day of what he thought was more important as a wide receiver, getting separation or having speed. And Eric, as an ex uh, DB here, I want to hear your take on this because for me, I think the more important trait is to have uh, the separation skill. If you can make separation from any cornerback anywhere, that's way more important. If you can get open, get get the ball in your hands and get that uh, run after catch, I think that's way more important than just blazing speed because we've seen in the combines of past years, the fastest guys really aren't doing a whole lot in this league. So uh, I just kind of want to hear your take. Uh, Eric, we'll go to you first. And then, Jared, what do you think 
as a wide receiver is more important, creating separation or having that blazing speed? Uh, well, well, first I want to say that you kind of have to consider the source, right, of this question. It started with Stephon Diggs. Right. And he's right. somebody, yeah, he, he, he can say, you know, uh, separation is better than speed, but he is somebody that ran a 4.46 at the combine. So it's like, Stephon Diggs, you're, you're plenty fast. <laughs> and he's able to create separation. So he has right. kind of like the best of both worlds. Um, but I, I think if I had to choose one or the other, I create the, I, I, I take the separation guy um, because if I can just get you the ball even in short area spaces or put you in a slot and you're able to create separation there, I think that's a little bit more important than just being able to run really fast straight ahead or right. occasionally have those big plays with speed, but I don't get much from you, you know, for the rest of the game. So, yeah, definitely give me the, the more pure separation guy that's able to win consistently, you know, within the first 15 yards of a, uh, of a play. Yeah, I'm going to agree with that as well because we look at the receivers with the fastest 40 times in history. We'll go Rondell Mendez in 1999. Not like he was blowing up anybody. Dree Archer, he was drafted by my Steelers a few years ago. He was there for, I think, a year or two, had a bad return, and then they cut him the next week, and we haven't really <laughs> seen anything from Dree Archer since then. Uh, Jerome Mathis in 05. Marquise Goodwin still in the league, very much uh, a playmaker in the 49ers offense. So uh, he's been somewhat of an exception to this. Henry Ruggs ran a 4-2-7. And then Jacoby Ford in 2010. Uh, J.J. Nelson, Yaman Figures, these, D- Darius Hayward Bay. These are guys who are more return specialists than anything throughout their entire careers in the NFL, with the exception of Marquise Goodwin. I think that, and I think it was Michael Irvin who said something about, yeah, it's great to be fast, but it's hard to stop on your route and get good breaks off of it because you've got all that momentum from your speed still carrying you, and it takes longer to slow down and get separation. So, yeah, I'm going to agree with the fact that separation is something that would be more important, just from a receiver standpoint at least. I think that, you know, it's different for guys who are running backs or DBs who have this incredible speed, but in terms of receivers just getting out of your breaks and your cuts, I think that's more important is to have the separation rather than the speed. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think we can all agree on that one. But uh, it is an interesting point there. Um, but, Eric, I did want to bring up one more position, uh, at least the question from me, a one more position kind of controversy battle that you could talk about in this draft. The most important position, I think, the quarterback here. Um, because I think we can all agree a sure shot Joe Burrow, number one. Um, but after that, I mean, we got a lot of questions. We don't know kind of what's going on with Tua. We don't know. It, it seems like his injury history is kind of maybe behind him, and he's got things going forward. The, uh, but then we also got Justin Herbert in there, Jordan Love. Um, Eric, I just want to hear kind of your take as uh, the draft specialist here. Uh, your thoughts on Tua, his health, uh, if you think he's going to go top five still or maybe he'll slide a little bit. Um, I just kind of want to hear your take here on those guys. Yeah, so um, a lot of times I tend to watch like what the 49ers need, and obviously right now quarterback, well, to 49er fans, quarterback's not the issue. I know the rest mm-hmm. of like media is like they get on Jimmy Garoppolo, but uh, I, I so I haven't really studied these guys, but I have watched a ton of Tua just because I watched a ton of Judy and Ruggs, and with Tua, I think he's a bit. I don't want to use the word overhyped, but. There, I don't think he's as good of a prospect as I think Twitter would lead you to believe. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he can, he has the ability to make all the throws, um, and he definitely has an, enough athleticism. I think he is just kind of. He he his time clock can kind of speed up if things aren't going perfect for him, um, and I think sometimes he like struggles to kind of get off of reads and he kind of waits to see who's open, 
and with his receivers that he had, right? I mean, we talk about Ruggs and Judy. I think that Smith might have been the best of the three. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like he, and then and then you have Jalen Waddle. He has like four of the best receivers in the nation. So he kind of, you know, has his, he can pick his poison at who he wants to hit and he can wait for guys to get open because he knows they, they usually win. One of those guys are going to win. So I'll, I'm, I'm curious to see how he, you know, translates to the NFL and having to throw more anticipation passes. Um, I do think he has like all the skills, but I think if you put him in a situation like maybe like Jordan Love where he's at like a Utah State, I don't know like who would beat out who in that type of uh, situation. I'm glad that you brought up Jordan Love because I was just about to bring him up myself. Where do you think that he lands? Because there's a lot of speculation that he could go top 15. There's some speculation he'll go early second round, anywhere in that little window. Where do you think is the best spot for him to go right now? You know, I think the biggest thing with him, and it's not, I'm not going to pretend like I'm a guy that has, like, has watched a ton of him, but mm-hmm. the, the one thing that I kind of like, you know, no matter what position you play at, one thing that I really take into consideration is like, do you dominate your competition? And I think Akuda, like I said, like, I don't think he's the most athletic guy, like, you know, as far as, you know, between him and CJ Anderson, but he dominated his competition, right? The guys that are across from him. Mm-hmm. With Jordan Love, from everything I hear, I think he was really good the previous year, but last year, you know, you look at his numbers and it doesn't look like somebody that just really dominated his competition. So to me, that's a little worrisome because, you know, EA doesn't have the receivers like, you know, Alabama or whatever, but the guys you're playing against, they don't have those type of athletes for the most part either. And, you know, just looking at his numbers, and I don't want to be like just a, a you know, a stat sheet guy, they were pretty under underwhelming for somebody that is considered, you know, a top 15 type pick. So that, that I know he had like big body, really strong arm. You know, he has some athleticism there, but just the dominating his competition part, that, that, that's kind of something that worries me a little bit. Yeah, and I think one of the I – don't, I don't believe it. I don't believe uh, any of the speculations or whatever. Thing. I think it's a bunch of smoke screens out there. But it is interesting to talk about. Um, the Washington Redskins are sitting there at number two. And Chase Young, everybody's saying that he is the best talent in this draft, and I would not argue with that. But – there are some speculations that Ron Rivera might look to uh, bring in his own quarterback, somebody that he wants because he was just given Dwayne Haskins when he was, when he took the job. So do you think there are any chances whatsoever that Washington passes up on Chase Young and possibly goes for a quarterback here? I think it's crazy talk, but it's something fun to talk about here. I think it would be ridiculous. I mean, you know, you have a quarterback <laughs> in the middle of the season, they change coaches. Um, you know, they brought in a whole new staff. And I think sometimes when you bring in a new staff, you can see, you know, something like that possibly happening, right? Like this quarterback, this is not the right. guy that we chose. And you don't know how often you're going to be in a position to be able to take, you know, somebody that you really like. So say if they were to draft a, a Hubbard or Hubert, however you say his name, uh, from Herbert, Oregon, yep. um, I, I could see that if they feel like that's a guy and they don't really care for Haskins. Maybe they try to trade Haskins away. Um, it's, it's a really tough situation. We just saw it last year, right, with, with the Cardinals. And right. they got a new coach in, and the coach was like, you know what, this Jared Goff kid, I mean, not Jared Goff, uh, uh, the quarterback from Kyler UCLA. Murray. Get, uh, no, the one from UCLA. Josh Rosen. Um, you know, this Rosen kid, that's not, that's not my guy, and I don't see him fitting in what I want to do. I want to go out and get a guy who I know can run the offense how I want it to run, and this is going to give me the best success, uh, you know, going forward. And, you know, coaches, man, they're tied to these quarterbacks. So, you know, once you make that decision, you kind of got to stick with that and live with that. 
And if it's, if it's Haskins, great. But you are in the opportunity. You are in the situation where you have an opportunity to take a guy um, that you might like more than Haskins and that be your guy moving forward. It's, it's tough. But, yeah, I, I'm not passing up on Chase Young. But I think for a quarterback and somebody I think that could possibly lead my franchise for the next 10 to 12 years and, and give, you know, Rivera and those guys success, uh, uh, I, I guess it's not out of the realm of possibility. Eric, we appreciate you coming on, mate. Is there anything you'd like to plug before we let you go? Oh, man. Um, you know, I know you, if, if you guys have any 49er fans out there, make sure you guys uh, follow the 4th and 9 uh, Twitter account. Um, you know, we, 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 we drop really good, you know, 49er content and, you know, just analysis on draft, draft prospects and everything like that. But now outside of that, now I don't have anything else. But. Well, hey, brother, <laughs> we appreciate you coming on. Uh, good luck to you and, you know, all your stuff going on with the, 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 the press coverage and uh, the fourth and nine. We appreciate you coming on. Stay safe. Stay inside. We'll talk to you soon. All right. All right. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you for having Thanks, me. Thanks, Eric. All right, man. So, Kurt, that leaves us with. We talked about this a little bit earlier, um, wanting to do the, the what-if scenarios that we had talked about before. And I wanted to give you one to start this off because this is something right. that would be quite interesting to your Buffalo Bills. And it's something that I saw, and i got to give credit to my boy Cowherd because you know how much I, I enjoy my Colin Cowherd takes because <laughs> what he does, he'll start off with just something outrageous, and then by the end of it, I'm like, yeah, that's going to happen. So, <laughs> <laughs> So... I saw him do one, and it was the same situation. I was like, this is not going to happen. And then and 10 minutes later, I was like, ah, oh, Christ, this is going to happen. So <laughs> what if Bill Belichick has this master plan where he's going to round up a lot of draft picks, and then he's got four six-round picks this year. He's got a lot of mid-round picks. He's going to move a lot of them to next year. Let's say he does that. And the Patriots, they're going to finish. I can't see them. If they're going with Jarrett Stidham, I can't see them winning more than six games. So let's say that he takes a lot of his picks that he has and he trades up to one or two, and then he ends up, when Roger Goodell comes out, he says with the third overall pick in the 2021 NFL draft, the New England Patriots select Trevor Lawrence, quarterback of Clemson. Oh, God, no, please. <laughs> please, no, don't do that to me. Um, that is uh, – if, if I wasn't a Bills fan, that would be fun to talk about. Um, I do not want to talk about this, but I will because – we got nothing else doing. It's it's the dead of the the off season, and uh, we're stuck inside. So let's talk about it anyway. Uh, right. I'll please you here, but thank God. Honestly, I because we have not seen the Patriots. That has not been their their go to plan to trade up to make these big splashy moves, really, because they've had their guys. Uh, they've had they've had Tom Brady for over twenty years. They had Rob Gronkowski for however many years, and it seems like for them, they just they keep their guys, they stay internal, they sign the low-key guys. But that being said, if this year doesn't turn out how Bill Belichick really wanted it to, if they don't make a push or at least make things competitive here, I don't know if he's staying, Jared. I don't think that if if he does not get what he wants and Tom Brady kind of rides off into the sunset. and You think Belichick would leave? I think that Bill Belichick might be done pretty soon. Um, he's won his Super Bowls. I think he maybe has two years here. He sees how Jared Stidham can play. He sees maybe maybe they draft somebody this year. Maybe they take Jordan Love. And they may they might move on from there, and they might move on from Bill Belichick. I don't know. This is just me 
kind of hopefully thinking that the Patriots dynasty is done and their reign is over on me. But um, I would not be totally surprised. I'll say that. I would not be shocked if they somehow find their way to get a top quarterback in this year or next year. But I think that Bill Belichick might be done soon, my friend. I think that his reign has come to an end. So has the Patriots and it is the Buffalo Bills time to shine, baby. Now, that's an interesting thing because I don't know when Bill Belichick's going to be done. There were some rumors, I think it was a few years ago, that he was, um, I think it was after the Super Bowl 51 win or 50, whichever one was against Atlanta, I think it was 51, where it was the season after that where the Seth Wickersham article came out. And there was rumors that he was maybe considering taking the Giants job after that season and going back to New York and trying to win there. Now, that would have been interesting. I don't know. No one really knows when he's going to decide to hang it up, but I would be very interested to see if he does decide, you know, in the near future, hey, maybe it's time for me to hang it up, hang out with my family for a little bit. I mean, he's how old is he? I think he's, what, 67? 67. Yeah, so, I mean, him and Pete Carroll are the two oldest coaches in the NFL right now. Um, We're going to see what's going to happen in terms of uh, what what he decides to do um, going forward. I mean, do do, do we really... Do we want? Do we think that he's gonna want to sit through a rebuild and what? He, even if he does stick around, there's no way that he coaches more than five more years. I mean, this guy's 67 years old. He's got a family. He's done everything that you can possibly do as a coach. He's reached the highest of the highs. The only thing that he has to do left is reach the lowest of the lows, I guess, if he wants. But if I were him, I would hang up the short sleeve sweatshirt and just call it a career because <laughs> he's had an outstanding career and. His boy Tom Brady is gone, so he's got Robert Kraft left, and they, those two are best buddies, I think, maybe. Maybe not behind closed doors, but uh, I think Bill Belichick might be on the way out. 67 years old, team is not looking as hot as they used to, so we could be seeing an end for the Patriots here. We will see. Now, did you have one for me? Because there, there's a lot of what-ifs that we could talk about to try to, just in the dead are... of the offseason, try to make our own headlines. There are a lot of what-ifs, and I, I, got, I got a couple good ones here. I'll just pick one out right here. Um, the Chicago Bears, we'll talk about them a little bit because I don't think that they get enough love as they really should. Um, mm. But sh- the Chicago Bears, if they, they have not been kind of living up to where people thought they were. Um, they were not they, – they brought in Mitch Trubisky, traded up for him, thought they had their guy. Um, they did not. They finished 8-8, eight eight, 500. So the Chicago Bears – what happens if they have another year, let's say eight and eight, nine and seven, miss the playoffs, Mitch Trubisky continues to struggle. Now they bring in Nick Foles. What if they had to trade Khalil Mack? Uh, they brought him in. They Ooh. traded a lot to get him. Uh, but he could have a big return because he has not been really playing like the Khalil Mack that he was when he was with the Raiders. Um, obviously, he's still playing great. He's Khalil Mack. But if the Bears want to turn things around, maybe they want to turn to Nick Foles. Maybe they want to trade some bigger names, some older names. Not that Khalil Mack is older, but he's been around for a little while here. Um, what say you that they call up uh, a team that is in need of a linebacker, of a guy that can get to the quarterback, and trade Khalil Mack to recoup some of that those draft picks? Well, if they do have another year where they miss the playoffs, I think that without a doubt, Mitch Trubisky is going to be gone. I think within. I think we're going to have a similar situation to that of Marcus Mariota and Ryan Tannehill for the Bears this year, where Trubisky will start for the first month. They'll be 
one and three or two and two. He'll have a bad game in week four, and they say to hell with this, put in Nick Foles. And then he'll play somewhat well throughout the rest of the year, and they'll f- probably finish around, uh, I'd probably say nine and seven, ten and six at best. Um, so, but let's say that they do go, you know, like you said, eight and eight, seven and nine, miss the playoffs. I think both quarterbacks are out. I think there's a very real possibility that Matt Nagy's out. Um, and they look to go quarterback in the next draft, whether it be maybe they try to trade up to get Trevor Lawrence. Um, they try to get Justin Fields maybe from Ohio State. They're both going to be coming out um, this coming year. Um, I don't know necessarily how much of a Sean Clifford from Penn State will be highly regarded. It depends on how he plays and if he decides to come out and whatnot. There's a lot of factors that go into him um, being uh, a highly regarded draft pick. So if they go you know, 7-9, and nine, but that defense still holds teams to, you know, 16, 17 points a game. Their offense just can't do anything. They're going to go quarterback in the next draft, and I think Matt Nagy could be gone. And that kind of opens up possibilities to maybe they bring in an Eric Bieniemy from Kansas City who's been far overdue for a head coaching job the past two seasons, um, one of the best offensive minds in football, um, a very big reason why the Chiefs have been so successful since Patrick Mahomes became the starter. So I think that that could be something that gets explored where Nagy is uh, shown the door, they hire Eric Bieniemy, they bring in a new quarterback, and they go from there. But I don't think training Khalil Mack should be an option. I think that if the defense still balls out, then you keep all of them that you can, especially the best one, and then just try to fix that offense. Because you look at their quarterback situation for however long, I don't think they haven't had a Pro Bowl quarterback before Mitch Trubisky did it, which is hilarious that he got into the Pro Bowl a couple of years ago and now we're at where we are now but before Mitch Trubisky I didn't think they had a Pro Bowl quarterback since Jim McMahon back in the 80s so yeah you look at their quarterback history um, there's a lot of Rex Grossman's there's a lot of Mike Glennon's there's a lot of uh, Mark Sanchez signings there's Hey, you can't forget about Jay Cutler. Jay Cutler yes gotta (laughs) love Jay Cutler so I mean their, their quarterback situation has been just abysmal for a very long time they need to find a guy who can come in and coach um, and use him to the best of his ability. And I think that's part of the problem right now with Chicago is that they're not using Trubisky the right way. They want him to throw the ball and be a field general. That's not his game. He's more of a poor man's Ryan Tannehill where he's athletic, he can run, um, and he can make plays with his feet. If they introduce more run packages for him where they – you know, run a little bit of read option stuff. I'm not saying he's going to be rookie year Robert Griffin III, but I think that he he showed, especially in the game against Dallas this year on Thursday night, he can make plays with his feet, and which could lead to him making more plays with his arm because it's going to keep the defense honest. So I think that if they were to just introduce more packages where he can run the ball, make plays with his feet, it wouldn't be so bad. But the fact that that's what not what Nagy's doing with him, he's trying to make him throw to win games, that's not really his game. So... If they have another situation like that, I think Nagy's gone. I think both quarterbacks are gone, and they're going to look elsewhere in the draft, whether it be Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields, to lead them going forward. Well, that is an interesting point, my friend. You should be the coach of the Chicago Bears. I would hire you to be the coach of the Chicago Bears and take over from Matt Nagy. You know, but... I, I try. <laughs> what do you got for me? You got another one? Yeah, so uh, what if after all of the departures this offseason in Dallas – you know, the, the retirement of Travis Frederick, Byron Jones is no longer there. They're stud cornerback. They're losing pieces left and right. Dak Prescott's on a franchise tag this year. Let's say that the Dallas Cowboys and Dak Prescott underperform again this year. Let's say they miss the playoffs. Where does Dak Prescott go? Ooh, interesting. Okay. Um, if the Cowboys don't perform here, I think they really do like Dak. Um, I think, I mean, it proves it that they do. They offered him $30 million to keep him, and he said no. And he so, said no, Kurt. He so, said no. 
I would not say no to $30 million right now, but I am also not an NFL quarterback. But I think the, the Dallas Cowboys really like Dak. Um, I think Jerry Jones loves him like the son that he never had, but I think that Dak maybe doesn't really love it in Dallas. Uh, I mean, if you're not taking $30 million, I mean, obviously you're going to think high of yourself, but he cannot think that he is one of the top quarterbacks in the league. I mean, come on, Dak. Think, think reasonable here, but – if if they do underperform here, uh, if let's say they miss the playoffs, because I think the Eagles are going to be a little bit better this year. Uh, I don't. I mean, they're not going to be as bad as the team as they were last year. Because what did they they finish nine and seven? Um, I think they they added a few more pieces here. I think they're going to fix that offense this year. Um, so I think the Eagles are a sure shot to win that division, unless Dallas can kind of get things going here. I mean, they hired Mike McCarthy, so. We'll see how Dak Prescott can really work with Mike McCarthy. Uh, he's done with the, the evil uh, Jason Garrett, who is just wasting everybody's career. So I think that I think it's the Cowboys love Dak. I think they want to keep him. But if he underperforms, you really have to think about where you're going to find another quarterback because you can't be going years upon years with the talent that they have. They have a lot of talent on defense. They got Robert Quinn in there. They got uh, uh, DeMarcus – or who is it? Lawrence um, – and Amari Cooper just re-signed. You got Zeke in there still. So they still have a lot of talent. And if Dak underperforms, you and I have talked about it. We don't think that he is the great elite talent in this league, but he's still a good quarterback. So I think Dallas tries to re-sign him. I think that he should re-sign. But if he does not, I think some team is going to be dumb enough to give him $35 million a year maybe. So we'll okay. see. We'll see. Let, let me say this. I want to – I, some, I just had an epiphany. What if we combine right. our previous two theories? What if the Bears stink and the Cowboys stink? <laughs> the Cowboys won't bring back Dak, and then out of nowhere comes that idiot team to give Dak Prescott $35 million <laughs> a year, and it's the Chicago Bears, and the Bears now have Dak Prescott going forward on a five-year, $140 million deal that they gave for him for, gave to him for some reason. And, Dak and a worse offense quarterback in the Bears. Dallas. Yeah. A worse offense, yeah. So what if, I mean – in that situation, Eric Bieniemy would now be coaching Dak Prescott. <laughs> Allen Robinson would still be there, um, assuming Tariq Cohen's still there. They need to get another feature back because Tariq Cohen is more just a gadget player lined up in the backfield. I don't think he's really a, a feature running back in an offense. Um, but, I mean, if the Bears were to somehow land Dak Prescott, then we're talking about a team that I think could be very good because as much as I give Dak crap – that would be the perfect situation for him. A team that's got a loaded defense that'll hold teams to, you know, 17 points a game, and they just need 18 points a game to win. I think Dak Prescott can do that. I think that would be the perfect situation for the Bears and Dak. So I think that if we combine these two theories, we've got quite the interesting 2021 offseason. You know, we we just got the hot takes here. We, we continue to pump out these hot takes here, but... Um... That is interesting. That's very interesting. But we will do we'll do what one more what if uh, per person. So give Hell, me dude, one, and can, then we can keep doing what ifs for the next. I don't care how long. I'm just trying <laughs> to you know kill off this day and think of crazy you know hot takes in my head that of course, are, are really going to. What else are we going to do? We're stuck at home and, anyway. So exactly. All right. So the Houston Texans have been making a lot of questionable decisions recently. And that has led a lot of speculation to maybe Deshaun Watson will one out. So what if Houston trades Deshaun Watson? Where do they trade him to? And then what Ooh. does that mean for Houston? Oh, man. Well, let me say this. If, if Houston trades Deshaun Watson and does not get just a prime about 
20 first-round draft picks and a bunch of other stuff, Bill O'Brien needs to be gone. Bill O'Brien needs to be gone no matter what. I think that he is bad for that team to be the head coach. He's bad for that team to be the general manager. He's made some very questionable decision-making. So if you trade Deshaun Watson, you're out of your mind. Um, Deshaun Watson is – can I even say Deshaun Watson is a generational talent? Because this guy is so talented. He's such a good quarterback. I think you can say that. I, I think I think you you easily can because he is so talented at the quarterback position. He knows how to control that offense, and you see how how dynamic they, they can be when he has DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, they just traded his best wide receiver, so sorry for you, but that defense needs some help. That offensive line needs a lot of help. So you can you can see how well he's played with. I don't want to say the lack of talent because he's had a ton of talent around him, but mm. the the few key missing pieces, you would be out of your mind to trade Deshaun Watson because you're not going to find a quarterback like him just anywhere. I mean, that, that draft of um, Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson is going to go down as one of the best drafts because those two quarterbacks are going to be taking this league by storm for a long time, my friend. Well, I'm going to break your heart again. What if – Bill Belichick calls up Bill O'Brien and is like, hey, I'll give you my entire, like, third through seventh round if you give me Deshaun Watson and Bill O'Brien. And he still doesn't get a first-round pick for him. (laughs) So he chose DeAndre Hopkins and Deshaun Watson without getting a first. Honestly, though, if if Bill Bill Belichick called up Bill O'Brien and was like, I'll give you my first-round pick this year and every pick I have from rounds four through seven – for Deshaun Watson, I'm not entirely sure Bill O'Brien says no. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think that's because Bill O'Brien's a moron and doesn't know how to make trades in the NFL. But I, I mean, you got to consider it if you're if you're getting what, what that would be about five or six. That would be NFL I think that, that would be north of that because he's got four picks alone in the sixth round. Right. I think he's got multiple fifth round picks. And not that four- not that fifth, sixth, and seventh round picks are that valuable, but still, that's six draft picks that you could be using to maybe hit on somebody. I don't know. But and at least no, build depth I, I for your think. team. What's that? And at least give you know the team depth and get some solid right. role guys in the very least. So uh, from, from the package that he got for DeAndre Hopkins, that wouldn't surprise me in the least if they did decide to do that. And then Deshaun Watson plays in Foxborough for the next decade and a half. And you... Please, no. <laughs> Please, for the love of God, no. So many scenarios that are <laughs> running through my head right now that would just make your life a living hell. Yeah, you I don't just want like to pick- do that. As your friend, I don't enjoy doing that, but it is fun to picture because <laughs> it I is really- fun to talk about. Oh yeah, what let's else? keep. What else are we gonna talk? Yeah, let's keep this going. Give me, give me another one. We can All keep right. doing this. I got one. Uh, we will keep it in your division with Uh-oh. your Steelers there. Uh, okay. The AFC North. They got a quarterback there in Baker Mayfield. Uh, the Cleveland Browns do. That they spend a lot of money to have talent around him. They bring in a lot of offensive line talent. They brought in Jack Conklin. They made Austin Hooper the highest paid tight end in the league. They have Odell Beckham Jr. They have Jarvis Landry, David Njoku still, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt. You name them, they got them. Um, but what happens if Baker Mayfield has a season like he did last year? Uh, last year was not a great season for the Browns overall. They did have a very tough schedule, but they did struggle a lot. Um, so what happens if the Browns finish 6-10? and 10? Again, I can't really see that happening. But what do you think happens? I mean, they're not going to just quit on Baker Mayfield after three seasons, but what do you think happens if Baker Mayfield really, truly struggles for a second straight year? 
I think that they would quit on Baker Mayfield after this season if that's what happens. I think that they this is the most talented team, arguably, in football on paper. They just got an incredible right tackle in Jack Conklin. Uh, so they got a much-needed upgrade there. Um, I think one more interior offensive line piece, maybe a guard somewhere, would definitely help them have a, a very more stable offensive line because that was a big issue for them last year is protection for Baker. And, then and they, they, do, they do have the 10th pick in the draft. So. Yeah, so we can expect them to use that on probably a new left tackle and then eventually in, their, in the second round probably on a guard or a linebacker, which is another piece that they need. They get another linebacker. They just lost Joe Schobert, so that's going to be a big missing piece for them. They need to replace him as he went to Jacksonville. Um, but if they can get a linebacker, if they can get a left tackle, I think on paper Cleveland's the most talented roster in football. I mean, you mentioned it. They've got Odell, Jarvis Landry, Two top 10 tight ends in football, I'd say. Um, Nick Chubb, who's a very good running back. Kareem Hunt, a solid compliment to him. Uh, Jack Conklin, as we talked about. Denzel Ward and Greedy Williams, who are a very good young cornerback tandem. Um, And then Miles Garrett off the edge. They've got so much talent on this team. And they bring in Kevin Stefanski, who they believe can really turn the ship around for the better and keep keep it afloat, which I believe that he can. And I believe that he will, but let's say he doesn't. I think that you got to look at your quarterback. Let's say Baker has a year where he throws for, you know, 24 touchdowns and 21 interceptions or something like that, and he struggles some more. Then he's just got bad decision-making, and that's something that should be gone by now. I mean, his rookie year, he threw a decent amount. It wasn't too many interceptions. I think it was like 14 in his 13 starts. So, I mean, he averaged more than one a game. And then last year, obviously, that was – um, escalated to the how many did we throw last year, Kurt? I think it was twenty. Was I should have the stats in front of me, but I do not. I'll um, have to look that up. But I think it was around between nineteen and twenty-one, twenty-two-ish, something of that nature. So I mean, it was a lot of turnovers, and um, defensively, they it was just such an inconsistent team. And I think after that loss in Denver, to who the hell was the quarterback for that game? It was a third-string guy who. <laughs> Everybody expected the Browns to roll over, and he gets his first career win against the Browns because Freddie Kitchens. So Freddie th- Kitchens. Yeah, I think Browns fans will forever sing the what's what's the opposite of praise. <laughs> uh, I do not know. <laughs> Whatever the opposite what of mean. praise. Yeah, they're gonna hate Freddie Kitchens forever. So I mean, I don't think that they're gonna struggle this year. I think they're gonna be a wild card team. Um, uh, and I think that Baker Mayfield plays a lot better under much better coaching from Kevin Stefanski. But if they don't, yeah, I think Baker Mayfield's out and they look elsewhere for quarterback as well. I think Stefanski stays, though. I think that if Baker struggles this year, I think they realize, okay, maybe this isn't so much a coaching problem. Not to say Freddie Kitchens wasn't a problem because he had no business being a coach, but if they're successful in the run game, if their defense is better, then I think they're going to look at Baker Mayfield and say, look, you, you didn't improve, and I think they'll probably give him – just the fact that he's number one overall pick, they'll give him a short leash. They'll bring in a vet who can play and could possibly come in and finish the year if he struggles again, much like Mariota happened with Tannehill this year. So I think it'd be something very similar, similar to that of Tennessee this year if he struggles and they miss the playoffs again. Well, I think you as a Steelers fan would love to see uh, the Browns struggle a little bit more, but I feel bad for Browns fans. I'm out there with you, Browns fans. We're Bills and Browns fans are struggling together, and we're finally on the up and up. So uh, we got a lot of fun stuff coming here. Uh, free agency is still, I mean, not too many moves have been made, but Cam Newton's still out there. Jadavian Clowney's still out there. Jameis Winston is out there. So we still got some big names, and we will definitely be covering them when uh, – when that news drops for where those guys go. 
That we will. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing where Cam goes specifically. Um, Clowney is asking for far too. He's asking for, I think, what, 17 or 18 million a year? Yeah. Yep. I think he's I think he's close to finalizing a deal to come back to Seattle for less than that because nobody was offering that. Um, so I think he'll end up back in Seattle on something around, you know, 12, 13 a year, which I think is fair. Um, so we'll see what he does. And then Jameis, Jameis is, Jameis is an enigma. I don't know where he's going to go at all. A lot of people are putting him in Pittsburgh, and I hope to God that doesn't happen because we don't have the cap space for that. And I, I don't want Jameis. It's nothing against Jameis. I, I just don't want him there. There's no need. To it is against there. Jameis. It's against Jameis. <laughs> It, it, you okay, just don't it's like a little, it's, it's a little against Jameis. I just, I don't want him there, man. I don't want Jameis. You're not a fan of the thirty for thirty. I am a. He's okay, story, you, he's in the history books and in, in the NFL. You and I are, you and I are the biggest fans of the thirty for thirty because we had an entire segment dedicated to it throughout the season, a countdown of how close he was getting for the last month of the year. And he right. ends the season as only Jameis Winston can with a pick six against Atlanta and how glorious that day <laughs> will forever live in infamy. But a lot of stuff still to come this off season. And we're going to do our best to keep you entertained while you're stuck in your houses, not really doing a whole lot of stuff. So, um, again, thanks, so. thanks to Eric, Eric Crocker for coming on the show. Um, you can find him on Twitter at Eric underscore, underscore Crocker. Uh, so check out all of the stuff that he's doing. Very insightful stuff from a former NFL DB. Um, but yeah, we've got a lot of stuff coming. Um, just trying to keep everybody entertained, keep ourselves entertained, talking about the possibility of Dak Prescott playing for the Bears in 2021. So, uh, <laughs> you heard it here first, coming. folks. That you did. So, we'll plug our individual stuff and then we'll get out of here. Kurt, you can go ahead and go first. Yes, sir. You guys can follow me at Kurt K U R T Homicer H A U M E S S E R 88 um, for. Your your positive your positive bills outlook and uh, your positive thoughts throughout this quarantine here. So everybody stay healthy and we have a podcast too. Or I, uh, we have a page for our podcast now too. Uh, you guys can find us at Laces Out PTST. So uh, hit us on there. We'll be dropping all of our podcasts. We'll be putting out mock drafts and trade scenarios and hot takes and whatever you could dream of. So that is us. What do you got, Jarrett? Follow me on Twitter, Jarrett underscore Bailey for um, all your Steelers content. I'm going to start releasing videos every day of just great things that happen in Steelers history. So enjoy that. Um, find uh, my stuff on fan sided. Um, do a little bit more articles for primetime sports as we have a website that you should all check out all of our great uh, writers that we have there. Um, as well um so check us check us out on there you can check kurt kurt stuff out on buffalo rumblings um writing about all things buffalo bills and how much he loves josh allen so mm -hmm. a, yes, lot I of do. Stuff, a lot of stuff coming from each of us on our respected platforms and right here on laces at which you can find on spotify and in the very near days on apple podcasts as well so thank you all for tuning in stay safe stay inside um, enjoy hanging out with your families. Try to find stuff to do together while we're all getting through this situation together. Kurt, it's always fun doing this with you, pal, and we'll definitely do another one within the coming days. Yes, sir. We will catch you next time. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and uh, wash your hands. There you go. There you go. Wash your hands. Stay inside. This is Laces Out. Talk to you in a few days. Thanks for tuning in. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.